Our next speaker is Glenn Elzinga of Alder Spring Ranch, who is a hero out west. It's incredible to get him over on the East Coast. But he's a hero because he runs cattle on public land. And out west, most uh, of the land gets completely destroyed when that happens. The, the cattle just hang out in the riparian areas, and they get rid of all of the trees and everything that's around there. So Glenn and his family have figured out a way to actually heal the land by running cattle on it. So everybody's going to learn so much from him. Do you need this? Advance your slides, green button. How are we doing? Thanks a lot, Abby, for hosting. This is actually very distracting. I have a log building hobby. So I look at all the mortise and tenon stuff, and I'm thrilled to see it. And Dave and Lindley, thanks so much for putting this together. You know, um, I wouldn't be here today except for a phone call, and I don't know what it was, Dave. I don't recall, like, circumstance. I would never do well in a courtroom unless if it was visual, very visual-type person. And so, Dave, I uh, called you, what was it, four years ago? Just, And you wrote something on a blog post or something that kind of pulled the trigger for me, and it was relevant to the scale of production. You know, we, we all kind of agree that, you know, this dairy that... Lindley shows it's inappropriate for organic, it's inappropriate for real organic for sure. And it's because uh, consumers are led to believe something completely different than the chicken houses she showed us and that mega dairy. And so there was a lot of these questions about scale being raised in real organic and so the thing about it was that, uh, I don't know what the number was, Dave, it was maybe 8,000 acres was going to be the cap or something like that of organic production. And that was it. I just picked up the phone and said, I got to talk to you. And surprisingly, he picked up, you know, no trace on the number. And he said, what's up? And I said, well, I'm an organic producer in Idaho, and I've been following the Real Organic Project. I absolutely 100% love and agree with what you're doing, but I have this thing. And he said, what's the thing? I said, it's our family ranch. I have seven daughters. He said, uh, he didn't say, but I was wondering if he was going to say that was a scale limitation. <laughs> but it wasn't. And I said, we run on 50,000 acres. And it's 50,000 acres of certified organic ground. And I wasn't watching him. I was wondering if he's going to drop the phone. But he kind of took it in stride. And anyway, that led to our long relationship. And now I finally get to meet him in person. But. Uh, you know, it just really begged the question, what is appropriate scale about organic? And what I would submit to you is that it maybe has more to do with not so much numbers, and I think I talked to Dave about this, but it's about the heart of the matter. And it's about having a passion <laughs> and a belief system that says organic should be something that emulates nature. You know, Reggie's emulating nature with his model. And we're emulating nature. And that's, that's really what I think real organic is about. Even though at 50,000 acres 10 years ago when I did the math, I looked at what was in organic production in the US, we had more than 1% of organic production on our ranch by acres, not by money, not by cattle numbers or anything like that. Which slide am I looking at? I'm looking at slide two, right? Okay. Yeah. 
Anyway, that's a picture of uh, the scale of production. Everything you see in a picture is certified organic. Everything, all the way to the horizon, all the way from the left to the right. That's me on horseback. I'm actually a line scout in front of my crew, who, wondering where we're gonna take the cattle next. It's a very diverse and beautiful system. There's 55 miles of trout stream down in, in those incisions in the land. And it's got beaver swamps, willow swamps like this in it. And, it, and then it's got all kinds of subalpine timber and even alpine tundra at nearly 10,000 feet. So it's a very, very diverse ecosystem, but it wasn't always this beautiful. We occupy this land too as part of that ecosystem. But before we started doing that, <laughs> Lindley kind of nailed it. A lot of it looked like this. This is uh, a riparian area, a creek, in a little hat creek, kind of running through the main part of our ranch, and um, main part of that rangeland. And you can see it's severely downcut. And this is all cattle. This is in 1999. Uh, we took the ranch over in uh, 2005. It looked like this when we got the place. And you know, I'd ride horseback through here. Very remote country, there's no roads up here. So it's all horseback or on foot. Um, and we just saw these down cuts and we saw tons of erosion happening. There was no fish, there was no beavers, there's hardly any willows or any other vegetation. And Carol and I are ecologists, she's a PhD plant ecologist. And I was a forest ecologist when we got into this ranching thing. A lot of our friends said, why are you gonna join him? <laughs> we wanted to, to join him because we thought there was a way to have hope. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Sometimes hope and ideas come from very strange places. And we were running these cattle up on this range. We had about 300 head up there, 300 pairs, that is, mama cows. So it's cow and calf, so a total of 600 head. And uh, me and the kids were riding horseback all the time trying to keep these cattle out of creeks. It's like, get out of here, girls. Move up on the hill. And then, of course, they'd come back, you know, and we thought, this isn't working. And then these wolves came in. There was kind of low-level wolf bordering in our territory, and there was some predation going on. But in 2013, we lost $40,000 worth. <laughs> we were a nickel-and-dime existence. We were hand-to-mouth. And that was a tipping point for us that said, you know, maybe we need to quit. Maybe we need to hang this deal up because we'd lost all hope. But the problem is this, we're Frisians, Dutch people, and Dutch people are those people that build dikes to keep the ocean out, okay? <laughs> so there's this severely stubborn streak in us, and we're like, no, we can figure this out. So we started looking through all kinds of things. We, we wanted to find out what functionality looked like before we showed up on a great western landscape, okay? And so we started looking at bison. We went to Yellowstone all the time. It's very close. And just watched and observed bison. We you know, looked at pictures of Wood Buffalo National Park up in Canada. That's where this is taken. And the thing we noticed was that bison were always traveling around in these bunches. And the way cattle have been managed for 150 years on the great western landscape, which is like one quarter of this country is public lands grazing or dry land grazing was extensive use, continuous use of cattle everywhere. One cow per square 10 miles. And a bison never did it that way. And we decided, what if we could do that? What if we just started emulating those bison 
with our cattle. And so we did. And that's what it looked like. We put a few kids on horseback around the perimeter herd. It took a lot to learn how to move those cattle and keep their heads down instead of up. That was a lot. That was an incredible amount of work to get that into both the human and the cow. That when their heads are down, we're making money. When their heads are up, we're losing money. That's what it looks like. At the end of that little arrow is the herd. There's three girls on horseback and about 400 head of cattle in that blob. Okay, and that's, I'm on top of the range taking this picture across the entire landscape. That's what the landscape looks like. We call it in-herding, intensive, intentional herding across the landscape. First objective, we decided, Carol and I, you know, we, we're thinking about this whole thing wrong. We need to start the foundation of ecological function before we thought, thought about profitability. So he said, let's figure out ecological function first, because that's what worked. It's like Francis was talking about, you know, in grazing systems on his place, when we emulated nature, profitability followed through, just like what Reggie was talking about. We have doubled our carrying capacity on our, on our valley ranch because our soil organic matter is now 7.75 instead of 2.45, which it started with. And we thought, we could probably do that on these ranges. So first thing was end riparian use. And it was easy in principle. Put people on horseback between them and the two Gs, which are green and gravity, which cattle throughout the West follow and cause this problem. If you guys were all congressionals, I think I could convince you in about maybe two hours that cattle on public land is a bad idea. But when you walked out, would you vote to get cattle off public lands? Probably not. <laughs> and the reason is it'd be political suicide. And it's because the agricultural lobby is very strong. That's great difficulty in terms of regenerative and real organic. And it's, it's why these kind of meetings are so important because they really got to start from us, from our heart. It's, it's the heart of the issue that's going to convince people, you know, and get a groundswell support from the ground up and then build in something like Reggie was talking about at the end, because we'll have enough momentum. So here's the before and afters. That's that same picture, remember? This is it last year. It's the how, not the cow. Yep. Here's another one. Look at this one. This is one of my favorites, even though you can't. These are metal T-posts. They're still there. We find them and retake the photo point so we know exactly where we are. Here's the same one. Impenetrable brush, okay? And it's just because we move these cattle off the range. Objective number one with beavers was critical. Because we restarted those riparian areas, and look what happened. The year we began in herding, we have an exponential beaver growth curve. Now we have almost 100 head of beavers on that range where we had none. And here's the crazy thing about beavers, guys. I'll talk to you in a few slides. Remind me to come back to that because, well, I'll remind. I'll, I'll see the slide. But anyway, number two was take care of the uplands. Stop the continuous grazing, okay? And that meant average four-year return period. And it also meant decreasing the duration of grazing dramatically. Okay, here's a picture I took. Linnea's on horseback in the upper right of the photograph there. You can kind of see her. She's bringing 450 head in 
to this timber stand at about 9,000 or 8,000 foot elevation. And these cattle are coming through. I'm gonna take a picture when they enter the stand and I take a picture when they leave. Two and a half minutes. Average of four minutes time grazing on an average of four years of time rest. This year, most of the stuff we grazed hadn't been grazed in 12 years. We're on it for three minutes. So that's why it's now home on the range. And here's the key part. Instead of acting on an ecosystem, we became part of it. That's the vision that changed for us. Now, you guys are all experts about how this is done. So that means you're ready for the 500 mile journey. You don't have to walk it, you can be on horseback with me. But this is what it looks like. This is this last May. These are all our employees and interns. We have many, we have 20 different people that come to help us. We have about 45 head of horses. And we start out from the ranch with the cattle and begin the long 500 mile journey. It really is 500 miles that they walk over the summer. Here's the first night. Grazing in the low country of the Sand River Mountains. Here's coming dark into the first camp. We herd them down into a camp. We sleep with them every night. We live with them because otherwise we'll have wolf predation, remember? The wolves actually come into our camp while we're gone during the day. We'll have paw-sized footprints around our tents and in our cook shacks. They'll watch us from hills above us. They'll howl at night but we now have a different situation. We have a relationship with them. This is the beaver shot. Okay, way down there in that canyon bottom was the first time I heard a beaver slap its tail. I ran down there, crawled up, and sure enough, here's this little rodent. They're rodents, guys, swimming across this riparian area. And that was the beginning of the exponential curve. And <laughs> Lindley was out one day and I said, they were raining beavers. It was like it was raining beavers. And here's why. Okay, look at that mountain, that sagebrush mountain. The beavers had to cross this. It was the nearest habitat to our low elevation riparian area. They had to cross the mountain. Guys, beavers go six miles an hour. Okay? Wolves go 37. Black bears go 35. They're walking cream puffs. So it is at great risk that they come and live with us. And it, it blows me away. It's humbling. It really is. It's just so beautiful. And it's humbling. Very steep country. We get up into high elevation timber very quickly. Okay. Low elevation Douglas fir, lodgepole pine, and a higher. This is one of my daughters. She's looking down in the canyon bottom because she's like, I really don't want them to go down there. That's one of my daughters. They do a lot of that when they're riding. They smile. They actually love what they do. These are 18-hour days, guys. They're 18 hours a day in a saddle. They pull their gear, take care of their horse, go in a cook shack. It's dark. Cook dinner. It's midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. They fall asleep, wake up when the sun comes up, and they do it all over again. These cattle are actually waiting for them in the morning. They're laying down right next to their tents. They get on horseback, walk over to the gate. It's like a choir. It's like somebody said, all rise. Because all of a sudden, the cattle all stand up. They know it's time. And they have trusted it to my kids, my interns, to guide them 
to that day's grass. And the grass, that's the old boy. It's mostly young people. We have tried old, old people like me, 50 years and older, and they fall apart categorically in two or three days. They just cannot handle it. They just cannot handle it. I guess I'm too dumb. I just keep going. But, you know, it's really all about every, everybody builds a story. That's my daughter, and that's a, that, that paint she's on developed this incredible story. Over that The people before that had that three-year-old were going to tip it over. We're going to send it off to, you know, the glue factory or whatever because he wasn't working out. But up here, they become partners. The water, everybody thinks it's about grass, but it's really about water. If you're not drinking out of the 55 miles of creeks, you got to deal with the water, and you got to get it out of those ecosystems. So that's been a thing. If anybody want to talk to me about it later, it's highly technical, but we've become very efficient at it. And the water has changed this much, guys, and I'm not kidding you. I'm not making this up. We all drink out of the creeks. The cattle, the horses, us. We don't purify the water. We don't filter it. We don't do anything. We never get sick. It is that clear. When you drink that water, it's like what water was meant to be. It's beautiful. And I can't do that on anybody else's grazing allotment because it's gross. It's fetid. It's got fecal matter floating down it. It's got sedimentation. It's wrong. That's our camp. It's real super low impact. Leave no trace, move out immediately. And this is why we come. There's 2,500 native plants up here, and you might think, oh, that's crazy. My wife's a botanist, okay? She put together a plant with 2,500. Our cattle eat them. We find out the phytochemical richness of those plants and the biodiversity of them gets into our cattle. I've had metabolomic testers test thousands and thousands of beef from all over the world. They said, yours is the only beef we've ever tested whose omega-3 fatty acids exceed that of omega-6s. And it's because it is. I'd like to take credit, but it's not. It's those plants. So remember, you're riding 500 miles. You're supposed to get tired. We have people from all over the world join us. We have 600 intern applicants a year. It's very difficult to sort through them. He came from Scotland. They become so tight relationship-wise because they have each other's backs. It's hard, hard work. But they're, they're lifetime friends when they leave. The cattle are slick. I don't know if you guys use that word out here, but we use it. It's slick. It means there's no aberration on their hides. There's no bugs. There's no flies on them. We use no fly control. We're organic, right? It's because of the phytochemical richness. Dr. Fred Provenza was out there with me, and I said, Fred, why no bugs? And he said, because they're eating their own medicine. They're eating it, and it's coming through their hair. And the flies don't like it. You're letting a cow be a cow. He said, you're letting them make their own nutritional wisdom. It's not a feedlot. You're not feeding them corn. You're feeding them 2,500 plants. Oh, by the way, let me go back. Can I go back? Yeah. That's camp. You can see we're just in the middle of this forested expanse. And we found a little meadow to put those tents so we could camp there. 
it's just solid wilderness. It's just us and the wolves, grizzly bears, or we have grizzlies coming near, black bears. But uh, it's just, it gets under your skin. And then finally in September, it's time to end your 500-mile journey. And you pack up the camp, and you stand together for one more group photo. Eat breakfast on the range on the way out. It's five-day ride out to get them back. We could see all this from our ranch, but it's five days to get up there on foot. Coming downhill now instead of uphill. And we're back home. You can see the relationship there, but it's a lot more than that, guys. They have a relationship that's with the cattle. They have a relationship with their horses. They're brave companions that lived with them up there for the entire summer and poured their heart out. Their dogs are holding, who've lost weight, by the way, because it's tough. It's tough on a dog. But they have a relationship that's on that landscape. And that land, it's kind of pulsing through their veins now. And they don't want to leave. It's become part of them. And you know, when we partner with nature like that and become part of ecosystems, to me, that's what real organic is. Anyway, thank you.